if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah This is a little bonus episode. It's not really uh, the standard podcast. It's a story from one of our listeners who expanded on a massive synchronicity that actually we ended up just talking about with one of our previous guests. Like literally we talked to him two days ago uh, as of the day I'm narrating this story. And it's about that bacon synchronicity. So he en- ends up talking about this right away in this story. But this is from Coach Chris. And uh, basically he sent, it's probably going to be about an hour long, an hour and a half long, um, amazing story with synchronicities and the occult and um, a bunch of other cool stuff in it. And I thought I'd narrate it for the show, a little bonus episode for 2021. Um, he does say that, uh, I can, you know, he trusts me to edit it down. He doesn't necessarily want it to be on air, but he's kind of angling for an invite, but like, uh, many other guests that we've had on who have had uh, life changing synchronicities that have, uh, you know, shot them into a new career or a new life trajectory, like a cannon, we will probably have him on, uh, before or after our contact at the cabin in February. I'm not sure, but either way. Um, it will be good to talk about this story in more detail. I think he's turning it into a book, which will be great. I mean, it was, I've, you know, I've read it once now I'm going to narrate it. It was uh, really interesting. I found it fascinating and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. And as always, uh, this will probably just be the short little intro. So, uh, this is a value for value podcast and, uh, we appreciate your support. We can't do it without you. You can head to grimerica.ca slash support to donate. Also, there's a bunch of audiobooks on adultbrain.ca, and those are all on Audible. You can also search uh, Audible for Graham Dunlop, and you'll find the ones that I've narrated and that Darren has edited. Lots of old esoteric. Actually, some that he mentions in this story are in Audible from us. And also Darren's awesome book, uh, Canadian Shame, about the residential schools. He's working on a couple more this year to come out. So you can check that out at canadianshame.ca. And thanks for listening and happy holidays in 2021, the craziest year of probably most of our lives. So here's the story from Coach Chris. I hope he's okay with us saying that. And it's called Grim State. Graham and Darren, this note took me 12 hours to compose on the last day of November 2021, and an hour to read. I write to you to bring forth what is in me because it's my driving force each day. I'm writing now like I'm running out of time and lives are on the line. I value your time and assure you it will be worth your effort. I trust you to allow you to edit it down for airplay without changing the context of the message. However, don't feel obligated to read it on the air as I'm not looking for airplay, but more importantly, to reach out for connection. Like another fan put it, angling for an invite. I have a high level of respect for you both as individuals and trust your judgment and character. I was planning to save my story for the publication, but have changed my tune. It's more important to have the story told and and heard so that the message may reach as many people as possible before it's too late. Time is running short, and none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. 
Security will come as the mission unfolds. So perhaps we can be of service to each other, value for value. I last wrote to the show in the fall of 2019 in an email that was read during the synchro segment of the show where Darren rates them. He gave me a 9.42. To recall, it was a piss synchro that I sent in after I pissed the bed for the first time and last time in my life. Just after waking up to this disaster, I randomly selected an episode of the Grimerica show from the past to listen to while I cleaned up. A few minutes into the episode, and Darren describes how he pissed his bed one time after dreaming that he had been peeing. It was a synchronicity impactful enough to write in about. However, it wasn't the first, nor would it be the last. If I wrote in about each synchronicity that I have with the show, I would be writing in every week. You both considered that maybe it would be in the category of a ripple stick, and then the ripple continued. The next email Graham read on the show was from Bob, who wrote in about randomly selecting a book and tossing it on his bed just before sending an email to a friend about the secret history of Francis Bacon and the Rosicrucians. After clicking send, Bob opened the book for his eyes to land on large print of the name, Francis Bacon, in a book that was titled the Roots of Coincidence, about psychic phenomena. As I was listening to this synchro for the first time as it followed mine, I was coincidentally standing over the stove frying bacon of all things, which was a rare thing since we rarely eat meat, but I had a house full of kids that morning. It's at most a once or twice a year occurrence where I fry bacon. Usually my sweetheart Anya does the cooking only because she is much better at it than I am. So right away, I have to interrupt this story and, and just mention, so the other day, like I mentioned, two days ago, which was December the 12th, we were interviewing Bob, well, actually Robert Frederick, let's say, who's been going down the bacon rabbit hole. I mean, and ever since that synchronicity, like he's been researching Francis Bacon. I mean, it's unbelievable the, the, the research that he's found about this and he's been, you know, on it ever since. And I was looking for the synchronicity in all my emails and I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find, I thought usually I keep, you know, in an old folder, all the stuff that I've read. And usually I can search for old emails, like even five or six years old and I'll find them. And, um, and here I am now reading this synchronicity two days later. I forgot that this was actually part of this email and uh, here we are. So yeah, it, it, it's still continuing to compound and ripple, I feel like. So he continues. I felt the ripple continue and I briefly described it on the 400th episode call-in show. There's so much more to talk about regarding that synchronicity. The story of how I found you and the magic involved. That it would take an hour or more. So I gave you the shortest version with zero magic and a bit of synchronicity on the short phone conversation last night that I called in and I described while doing some basic air conditioning maintenance at a Buddhist temple in which I was not a member at the time. I must add, I briefly had conversation with another tradesman helping around the temple. I told him, Eric, that the headmaster at the temple seems to have much esoteric knowledge that is of interest to me. I told him I just had a life-altering awakening and was still in search of answers. The headmaster of the temple, Velvet, told me, 
you Americans are funny because you watch movies for entertainment and don't realize they tell you the stories of past, present, and even future. In 2021, Velvet performed what I can only describe as a Buddhist exorcism, which was an unusual experience, to say the least, that I can describe another time. Eric, the tradesman, went on to agree with me and that at that very moment referred me to your show, explaining that I specifically should listen to episodes 182 and 202. Looking back, his recollection of show numbers was quite remarkable. And as recently as August 2021, I learned that he had a severe car accident in Yuma, Arizona, and suffered traumatic brain injuries and is in the fight for his life. He will have a long way to go, as I understand he was in a coma in a hospital in Phoenix. And if he hears this in spirit or on earth, we love you, Arizona Eric, and send you good vibes and thanks for spreading truth, love, and light. I am grateful for his referral because I know we are on a mission together for the last stand of humanity, and together we can build an unbeatable team across the lands to sustain and maintain truth, love, and light as principles for the kind of life we want for ourselves and our loved ones moving forward. We are in this together for a better tomorrow. Taking Eric's advice, I listened to the episodes in search of answers to what I was experiencing, which was a combination of psychic phenomena and interactions with otherworldly entities and things I had no reference for or way of explaining. I didn't listen to another episode for over a year, but continued my own journey in the world of strangeness. After the dust settled for a bit, I remembered your show and it became my support group. I went on to listen to the entire show in reverse order to the first show and have kept up to date and even listened to my favorite episodes a few times over. I told you in my past email that you guys are like best friends I have never met. And that remains to be true. However, the latter part will change soon as I will explain. I still look to you both as friends and some of my only friends, but even more so now like partners. Strange thing is that we have never met, but the connection you are creating with people is real and powerful. I look every day in the morning and sporadically throughout the day to see if any new content has been uploaded, and I know Darren is probably wondering by this point if I'm a supporter. Well, I have a reason why I haven't supported monetarily yet. And I know it will sound like an excuse, and excuses are like buttholes. Everyone has one, and they all stink. But this is the truth, and I am a defender of truth, so here goes. When I came back to listen in 2017, it was after I lost nearly everything. I lost my business as a result of failure to prepare and wound up in repair. I took a $10,000 loss on one transaction that a client said they never authorized after the work had been completed. The American Express Company sided with its client, and even though I had receipts and signatures, my fault came down to the fact that I swiped his card when his card had chip technology, and since I didn't buy the $50 chip reader, the customer was able to cancel his charge. I didn't have the insurance, security, or capital to cover a loss that big. I was just a startup in my second year, and this one transaction ruined what I had built. Lessons had been learned. In the process, I also lost my home and put tremendous strain on my family. I had no bank account and still am on a budget and remaining self-employed. I have a low non-contract monthly phone bill to a cheap provider, which is why I must borrow someone's phone to call Canada. But maybe you guys can call me. I moved in with my mom into a shed, 
with air conditioning in her backyard and drive a 1995 Nissan hardbody pickup with low insurance and no payments. I struggle to pay for cannabis, but this year I legally grew and harvested 14 ounces in September for the first time, and will be on my way to a more abundant harvest next year. The last two years I have learned what food produces the best yield in my region, and I learned what grows well. I also devised a strategy on how to grow quality cannabis in this desert region outdoors using natural soil and zero pesticides, while also surviving the extreme heat at temperatures above 110 Fahrenheit. I was going to offer to bring Darren some this February when you come to Arizona, but I will probably have run out by January. I was hoping to hook up a quarter pound of dirty socks in a value-for-value exchange for a spot at contact at the cabin. But instead of producing 20 to 40 ounces, as I had hoped, my yield was only 14. I'm constantly burning like Darren, so I will do better for us next round and try to find another way in. You will be a four-hour drive from me in Tucson and are heading to a place I grew up spending every summer. Even my parents and grandparents have hunted that land and I have fished its lakes and streams. It is a paradise, the first paradise I thought of when learning transcendental meditation, in fact. Beauty doesn't describe it. Here's an excerpt from a writing piece I did on the destination for the next contact at the cabin in Pinetop Lakeside. Camping trips to Big Lake in the White Mountains of Arizona was an annual summer activity. When I was 10 years old, we started camping deeper into the valley down a winding washboard dirt road about 10 miles to a more tranquil and secluded area by the river. It was there I learned to stream, fish, and enjoy the sights and sounds of nature in their purest form. The West Fork, Black River, became my absolute favorite place to go. It was a true paradise that would provide me a place to escape to both physically and mentally for the rest of my life. The peace and tranquility filled my soul with every breath of fresh pine air. The beauty of the stream cutting through the tall, lush green vegetation would be forever imprinted in my memory. The sound and feel of the cool mountain breeze blowing through the branches and rustling pines dropping cones and singing birds all combined to create a symphony to set the soul at ease. That is Pine Top, Lakeside, Arizona. I would like to offer my services and my support with more content as well as offering my full-time employment into what I'm calling the Grim State. I have been an air conditioning salesman, first and technician second for the last 13 years, and have been coaching youth sports for the last 11. Specifically, American football, with an emphasis on becoming a master through 10,000 hours of training to achieve flow state in accommodation with proper food, water, and breath. Before that, I worked in big banking, where I was a manager of my own branch of a major financial institute and learned the diabolical schemes from the inside. In November of 2007, I made a sort of Robin Hood move that got me fired from another management position with a private financial institute. I was being charged with seven felonies and facing three to ten years in prison. In the conclusion, I ended by pleading with the state to one felony charge. Most importantly, it would become the eventual uncovering of a massive scheme that went to a federal court, where the bank lost a class action suit against them and had to pay their clients back $55 million. I got a check and a letter, but still have a felony. But that didn't prevent me from getting a job as a teacher in the public schooling system. 
a true story of triumph for those 13 to 15 year old inner city kids in low income homes that I had the opportunity to teach physical education and life skills to. This brings me to the synchronicity that changed my life and ultimately led me to you, Darren and Graham, your show, your mission, and put me on path with our shared purpose. Before the bank, I was in the Marine Corps during the kickoff of 9-11, which would become a turning point for the rollback of American freedoms, as most of us can now see clearly. And again, I saw it from the inside. I was on a plane the morning of 9-11 heading back to Marine Corps base camp, Lejeune, to Raleigh, North Carolina from Tucson, Arizona, after a layover and night stay in the airport in Baltimore. Within two weeks of the false flag attack, we were training for nuclear biological and chemical warfare. I became one of many victims of the first devastating rounds of the experimental anthrax jab, what are today called boosters we called rounds. Funny how a booster in the student-athlete world is a parent or someone who funds the activities and supplies a flow of cash for the agenda. I have heard many times people refer to themselves as boosters with pride. Let's keep it simple. They are doses. In the case of the anthrax jab, each one was more painful than the last. They were found to be injurious injections that gave me and thousands of other servicemen and women lifelong ailments, including boil breakouts and lymphoma. This life experience was my white rabbit that led me to full-on anti-vax, after much study into the history and atrocities around including a dear friend's son injured by vaccine resulting in severe autism and an uncle and his daughter directly injured by the Agent Orange used in the Vietnam War. My battle with disease led me to enter a holistic treatment for the purpose of life sustainment in 2013. By the nature of fate, one of my air conditioning customers of many years had been giving me the guidance and tools I needed beginning in 2008. He is to me like Merlin or Mr. Miyagi, but his name is Larry. Finally, I had reason to implement these life changes. In conjunction with my dive into an all-plant, raw, organic way of eating, my memory from the Marine Corps of knowledge on how to train for fitness would assist me into the next stage of purity. I was running 30 to 60 minutes a day at a 9 to 11 minute per mile pace. This is where things took off. After much life experience, I found this theme of surrender in the most difficult of times i.e. rock bottom, having the utmost importance. Like many deaths and rebirths, each one taking us higher through the ashes and pain. An early memory as a child comes to mind as well as every major turning point in my life. My first surrender to a higher power was in a desperate moment of hopelessness in a tub of barred-up group home at age 14. I was left unwanted for weeks after being discharged from a juvenile detention center. After my surrender, I was saved within hours by my godfather, who had no former knowledge of my displacement. My next surrender, or white flag, was the decision to leave everything I knew and loved to join the United States Marine Corps. On top of the mind control and torture I would endure, I had a near-death experience while drowning in the swim qualification tank in basic training. Then I learned the true meaning of mind over matter after hiking 11 miles to a mountain nicknamed the Reaper, or Mount Motherfucker. During an event called the Crucible, a rite of passage and final test in Marine Corps boot camp, 
I began in formation at sunrise, unbalanced and seeing spots like light fairies with every glance ahead. Finally, arriving at the base of the mountain, we ascended 700 feet up a 60-degree incline after traveling over 50 miles the two days previous through mountain terrain. With full pack, weapon, ammo, combat gear, two hours of sleep, seven peanuts, and unknowingly, I had bilateral medial tibial fractures. These white flag moments are uncomfortable but necessary for growth. From the pitfalls of drugs, crime and violence, to a life of sobriety, to being escorted out of banking with a felony while also changing policy within, to letting go of the steering wheel of my work truck in August 2013 and hollering out to Creator demanding he take the wheel and use me as a tool for good while I cried desperately, Having no plan for the future or plan for income, calling in to quit my job of five years to start a new journey blindly but with faith, was by far one of the scariest but best decisions I've ever made. With my three-year-old child, Sumaya, asleep alone inside, depending on her daddy to take care of her, this was a tremendous leap of faith. Two weeks later, I got called and offered my first paying job coaching. The following year, in 2014, I earned a job teaching at that same school based on performance. It was my former junior high school. Finally, in summer of 2016, I started my fourth business, but first, air conditioning company. My youngest of three children, Sumaya, was now seven years old and going into first grade. It was the first week of August and I was having a conversation with her while we were in my truck and she was playing on her iPad at the time. She had been selected to interview for a program at the University of Arizona called the Center for Academically Talented Students. And we had been given the interview questions to study ahead of time. I told her I would ask her a different question every day and proceeded to ask the following question. If you could have someone come to your class to teach you and your class something, past or present, who would it be and why? She answered, I wish Steve could come to my class and teach us how to make the world a better place with technology. I was confused. Who? I asked. Do you mean Steve Jobs? Yes, she proclaimed. Now how on earth do you know about Steve Jobs? I asked. She said simply, My hearing improvement teacher, Miss Christina, told me he created the Apple iPhone and iPad. Because Sumaya had extreme hearing loss in both ears, she has a weekly visit from a teacher from the Arizona School for the Deaf and Blind to make sure she is keeping up with her peers and to make sure that her support equipment is functioning properly. I was impressed by her answer, but also jealous. I wanted to learn how I could be more like Steve Jobs so that my daughter would look up to me that way. I decided to do some research into Steve and quickly learned that he credits two books for having changed his life dramatically. They are Be Here Now by Ram Dass and Cosmic Consciousness by Richard Buckle, M.D. I bought them both and read them in a few weeks, bringing me into September of 2016. These were the first two books I had read in over 10 years, and I couldn't put them down. The message that resonated with me as I closed the first book, Be Here Now, was that I needed to learn and practice meditation. Just then, as I looked up at my to-do calendar, I realized that I had happened to have an appointment with my veteran's health care doctor in two weeks, and so I planned to ask him for assistance. 
By no coincidence, Dr. P has a background in holistic healing and was eager to schedule me for an hour of time to teach me transcendental meditation. Since this time, as of 2020, Dr. P has been removed from the veterans' healthcare system. A nurse told me in confidence it had to do with a conflict of interest with his mind-body-soul healing methods. The first session with Dr. P was unforgettable and life-altering. I had an out-of-body experience my first time right there in his office. After about 15 minutes of guided concentration and breath, I felt what I can only explain now as my third eye opening after a lot of pressure built up. Green orbs and purple waves made this experience reminiscent of a psychedelic trip. I couldn't feel my body or my chair and time was lost. When the doctor brought me back after what he said was 45 minutes, he told me before I could speak a word that it was all natural and I could do this anytime I needed to. He made it a point to tell me I didn't require any pills or drugs. I went home mind-blown and excited to revisit the experience. I practiced every day for an hour, always after my morning run, and always in the sun. I was truly dedicated and committed to this new practice. Taking note that this was after being diagnosed with lymphoma, and I had begun a holistic healing program that I described which also included detoxifying from and staying away from fluoride, BPA, and GMOs. After just a week, I began to receive a transmission, a message, a channel. It was a riddle that stuck in my head like an earworm for days and was driving me mad. I wasn't sure if I dreamed it or made it up, but I couldn't get it out. So I took action to solve the riddle. The riddle was, be still, choose a place at the head of the city. I will reveal myself to you in the place of your nativity. There you will find a crystal sword. Telling this to anyone would risk me sounding like a nutcase, but I shared it anyway with my cannabis caregiver at the time, Mario, who had nothing to say and shrugged it off. I told my sweetheart, Anya, and she said maybe it had to do with my business, which was of no help. And finally, I told my mom, and of course, she suggested I do more praying for answers. I was really starting to feel a bit crazy as this riddle was all-consuming of all my thoughts and my energy. I concluded it was a message for me to solve and no other person could possibly be of assistance. I took a literal approach to solving it. I envisioned Tucson, my current residence, and residence at the time, as a body with a head, and concluded that the head would be in the northern part of the city. I imagined a drive into the city from the north and first seeing Sombrero Peak, a petrified volcano at the furthest most point of the Tucson mountain range on the western edge of the city, near two rivers. It looks like a Mexican hat, or sombrero, when looking at it from the east at a distance. This must be it, I thought, and so I set off that moment to the public library to research Sombrero Peak. I hadn't been to the library in years. I didn't even have a library card. I half expected to use the Dewey Decimal System and the card catalog. But instead, there were computers. I easily looked it up and found reference to it in a geology book. I grabbed a small green book off the bottom shelf and skimmed through to the page on Sombrero Peak. I read about the early settlers naming the peak Safford Peak and that the name Sombrero Peak is just a nickname given more recently by locals because it resembles a sombrero or big Mexican hat when the sun is setting. This was amazing to me because I was born in Safford, Arizona on October 12, 1980, 
a tiny town in the southeastern part of the state that I left at the age of one when my mother moved us away. Safford lies at the base of the highest mountain in the state, Mount Graham, where the Vatican owns a telescope called L-U-C-I-F-E-R, Lucifer, and it once was at the end of the Devil's Highway, State Route 666, that has since been renamed. Most importantly, this related to my message when it stated, I will reveal myself to you in the place of your nativity. I put the book down and immediately Google searched Safford Peak on my cell phone, which took me to an article titled, A Still Place in a Turning World, in the Associated Press. My message said, be still. This puzzle was being solved rapidly. I went home and called the number at the bottom of the article and reached a lady named Amy who answered, hello? She asked how I had heard about the place and gotten the number because she doesn't advertise. I explained that there was an article I came across online. She went on to say that she sent that article to out-of-state sites in hopes of attracting non-local visitors. She said she cares for 81 acres of land set aside in a trust by a deceased World War II veteran named Elmer Staggs. He wanted the land preserved for a place to find peace and tranquility. He created the mission statement, a still place in a turning world. Amy's objective as the caretaker was to keep the place hidden and to not attract a bunch of people, and to preserve the peace and tranquility of the land. I told her my story, as crazy as it sounded, and asked if I could book a stay at the cottage she has on the property to continue my journey. She explained that she normally books two to three days on weekends because she has a regular job during the week and manages the property and the cottage as a non-profit organization for no pay. I asked if she could possibly consider a one-night stay because my money was tight and with the deposits and cleaning fees, the stay was going to be over 200 She said she would get back to me and check her schedule. Three long days went by and she finally called me back and offered me Wednesday, October 12, 2016. Yes, my 36th birthday. She had no idea that was my birthday, of course. I booked the cottage and counted down the days. The night before that Wednesday, I called my childhood friend Albert to invite him to join me on a birthday hike. It was last minute to nearly already 10 at night, but he agreed to join me. The next morning, Albert arrived at 5 in the morning and we set out together and stepped off to the desert about 5.30 in the morning, an hour yet before sunrise. Albert brought one 16-ounce water bottle and I had four 32-ounce bottles just for me, but I figured I would share with Albert. He was wearing a sleeveless shirt, shorts, and walking shoes while I had a full Marine Corps desert camouflage gear, combat boots, and a full-brim hat. As soon as we stepped off, Albert noticed we were not heading on any trail and immediately asked with a slight chuckle, Where are we going? I responded, Probably the top of that peak up there. We'll see. Albert chuckled again and said okay. After an hour, we sat and watched the sunrise on top of a ridgeline. We smoked a bit of cannabis and enjoyed the moment. Another three hours into the uncharted desert and we sat again on a hillside to smoke. We took a smoke break every hour or so in the beginning. And this time Albert asked me once more, but this time with a bit of exhaustion in his voice. Chris, where the hell are we going, dude? Just then I looked to my right towards the east as we were facing north. The sun was at our backs behind the mountain ridge. My eyes fell upon a stone that must have been 450 yards away. 
I took a photo of it along with many photos along the journey that I will eagerly share. What I saw in the stone was an angel with wings and other angels at its base. It was pointing in a southwesterly direction towards a break in the peaks. As I looked toward the breaks in the peaks, just then the sun crossed through the break and shone through bright like a spotlight or a lighthouse lamp calling us into that very break. The light shining through only lasted a moment before passing to the west and being covered again by the mountain ridge. I said to Albert, that way, and proceeded with great energy to attack the hill in progress towards the highest point on the ridge, where we could cross to the south through the break. On the way there, we encountered a massive cave that seemed to be a current home to a large mountain lion. We found large, fresh tracks and a huge area of scat at the mouth of the cave. We took a few more pictures and realized we were probably being watched by the lion. Again, Albert asked, Are we going back or where are we going? By this time, about six hours had passed, and the sun was bringing the temperature up to around 90 degrees Fahrenheit. We realized that we hadn't really been conserving water like we should and may have needed to bring twice as much as we actually did. I needed to encourage my good friend to stay with me on this journey and continue. He spent a good 10 years of his life playing World of Warcraft, and I used to give him a hard time about it. I hadn't shared with him any of my riddle or strange journey up to this point, as I was really keeping it under wraps for fear of ridicule and sounding crazy. It was at this time I revealed my mission to Albert in a half-serious way, so that I would have a way out of it. I told him that I was in search of a crystal sword, and that if he would use his imagination like he does in World of Warcraft that he could help me find it. He seemed annoyed by my reference and shrugged me off, but continued the challenging climb right behind me. We crossed the ridge to the southern side of the range and were now fully exposed to the full Arizona sun. We were now out of water and getting nervous about the hike back. The vehicle was nowhere in sight, and we were not sure where we were at all. Using the sun as reference for direction, we headed back. Coming down a hill, we headed towards one of the few large green trees in the area known as Palo Verde. We were looking for some shade, and just then witnessed three bucks moving through that we must have just spooked. As we got closer to the tree, I noticed the sun reflecting off something bright and half buried under a large stone at the base of the tree. I reached down and removed it from the dirt, and like a needle in a haystack, I held it there in my hand for Albert to see a quartz crystal Native American arrowhead. It was genuine and one of a kind. And just then Albert jumped with excitement and joy and exclaimed, It's your crystal sword. It's your crystal sword. I was lost for words and so we continued back. After collapsing and almost succumbing to heat exhaustion, we both made it back to the truck after an eight-hour hike. I took the arrowhead to a geologist at Tucson Rock and Gem Store who has been in business for over 35 years. He had never seen anything like it. He explained that quartz is fragile and difficult to fashion. We even searched online together and failed to find any that were not replications. He gave me a glass case and told me to keep it safe. I solved the riddle, finding every line like a treasure, even the crystal sword. Or did I? Was this relic all there was to the mystery? Had I pulled sword from stone? Had it ended? Left with unanswered questions, I continued to meditate on the property, searching for answers. This couldn't be the end. It was, in fact, just the beginning. 
What did I learn? I should trust my instinct. I should listen to the voices inside. I should keep meditating. I shouldn't doubt the guidance, no matter how strange and far-fetched it may seem. I shared my experience with an old couple one afternoon after meeting them for the first time and servicing their furnace. The wife asked to send me away with a Bible, and so I said, sure, only if I can tell you a story. The old man, who could hardly move, was excited to hear my story as he began to tell a story of his own. He spent his younger days, 50 years prior, on the same property where my story takes place. He was a ranch hand and explained in a very animated way that at night he would hear wagon wheels rolling through rocks that weren't there, as well as sounds of native drums beating in the hills in the distance. He said, That's a strange place out there, son. A few weeks passed and an unknown man came up to me in the parking lot of the grocery store in the middle of a rainstorm and grabbed my right shoulder, looking me directly in the eyes and said, Do you have a question about the light? I looked at him confused because I had just started revisiting memories of an experience on Interstate 8. I had in Arizona back in 2002 on the way home from Marine Corp Base Camp Pendleton in California. I replied in somewhat disbelief to his question. Yes. He said, Be not afraid. They are real and biblical. They are the Nephilim. During my own astral projection studies, they attempted to take me away from bed and drag me out of my house by my feet. Use the name Jesus Christ to denounce them and they will leave you alone. I was just in my truck praying to the Lord, and he told me to come tell you that you have the gift of discernment. I have the gift of prophecy. You will become a great leader of men and will transform the hearts of troubled youth. I see you with your own chapel on a hill and your own congregation. Have faith, my brother. He walked away and I never saw him again. I was blown away because here was a stranger that felt compelled to give me a psychic reading in the rain and an extremely accurate one at that. He didn't know me or my name or my situation about anything. How did he know I had a question about the light? How could he know, considering I told not a soul and just started thinking about it recently? How could he know about my experience all those years earlier on a highway in the middle of nowhere? How could he possibly know that I had just began to coach over 400 student-athletes in the last two years? How could he know that I led many troubled youths in my own community and am known as Coach Chris? What else did this messenger know? One afternoon, still November 2016, after hiking on the property and meditating for an hour on the hill, I came down to be greeted by Amy, the caretaker. She first got my attention as I was leaving, saying at a distance in a loud voice, Hey, wait, wait. Who are you and why are you always parked here? I said, Hi, Amy. It's me, Chris. Remember, I rented your cottage. She said, Oh, yeah, I remember. You're welcome here anytime. How was your journey coming along? I told her I hiked the mountain with a friend and found a mountain lion cave, at which she said to be careful out there, and then proceeded to completely break down crying. I placed my right hand on her left shoulder and asked, What's wrong, Amy? Are you okay? In tears, she began explaining to me that she needed to leave the property as soon as possible, and that the board of directors wasn't helping her to get out in a timely manner. Her husband died earlier in August of the year, suddenly from fast-onset leukemia, she said he was only 34 and healthy and well. After going into the attic to spray for bugs, he came down coughing uncontrollably and became ill, 
never to recover and died within a month. She said it was their dream to live out the rest of their days on the property and now without her husband every day, there was a terrible reminder of the tragedy that occurred there. She no longer had peace or happiness there and she needed to find a replacement. A light bulb went off in my mind and I knew that I could take over for her. In that moment, I said, I can take over for you. Really? She asked with excitement and wonder. I went on to tell her every reason why I could, would, and wanted to, as well as why I would be perfect for the position. Within a week, I was being interviewed by the board for the position of caretaker. During the interview, an elder board member asked me what I knew about the place. I said nothing more than what I have read and seen. She went on to share with me that Stephen Hawking visited the property in the early 1960s and stated that the place has wormholes. She stated that even she had heard horses on the property that were nowhere to be found. In my mind, I made the connection with the stories I heard of sounds from the past and the scientific way of explaining it through wormhole time warps. The final comments were from the president of the board and second caretaker of the property for over 40 years prior to Amy and now residing in Hawaii, Anne. Her final question to me before offering me the position was this. Do you scare easily, Mr. Martinez? Of course not, ma'am. I'm a Marine. I can handle anything, I said. I only ask because your biggest responsibility is to be sure to close the gate by sunset and without houses or streetlights out here, it can be pretty dark at night. That walk from the caretaker's house to the gate is a quarter mile, and if you were afraid of the dark, that could pose a real problem, said Anne. I'm not afraid of the dark, ma'am. It won't be a problem, I said confidently. Once I got keys and began sleeping out there, things really kicked up many notches. Along with getting the gate opened at sunrise and closed by sunset, my responsibilities were to maintain a tiny chapel made of stone hidden away on the hill and to reserve it for weddings and memorial services, as well as host an annual Easter sunrise mass. I didn't learn of the chapel and its responsibilities until the job interview. I was more excited to have full access to the land and to be able to live in a four-bedroom home rent-free and with all the utilities paid. It seems as if that street prophet may have had some insight into the chapel as he mentioned it, but at the time I didn't connect it. It was adding up to be like a dream come true, quite literally. The chapel was small and wouldn't require much time or effort to maintain. One afternoon, now sometime in February 2017, one of my pupils, Axel, whom I had coached during his 8th grade year in physical education class, asked if he could earn some extra cash to buy pet food for his dogs and cats. The kids knew I ran my own business and that teaching was a temporary duty for me. I would encourage them to build their own dreams rather than working to build someone else's. That brought the kids out in numbers, seeking summer work and side jobs from their coach. I recall checking the bank and only having $80 in total and rent was due in three days with a sale hanging in the balance. Axel comes from a home with a single mom that works two jobs at different convenience stores to feed a family of four children, three boys and a girl. They live in a low-income trailer park, and yes, they have dogs and cats too. It would have been easy to think of myself, my rent, my kids, my family, my fear, but instead I told Axel I would pick him up and pay him $60 if he would help me with a big job out on the land. The sale hanging in the balance closed the next day and another month would be secure. 
But what happened that day is still impacting me and the world around us today. The All Creeds Chapel, as it is called to this day, is up the hill at the base of the mountain peak. There is a storage room door at the back of the small chapel that is next to a stone fireplace. I opened the door when first issued keys and found rat feces from the entrance of the door to each wall and on top of everything in sight at least six inches thick. After committing to cleaning it and pushing past the doorway and through the droppings, I found a much larger room than I expected. It had shelving, tables, chairs, and eight moving boxes. Everything had rat shit covering it. This was going to be an all-day event. Axel and I strapped on boots, gloves, and breathing masks to protect ourselves from any hazardous waste. Together, we pulled everything out and sprayed the walls down from top to bottom. As items went back in, they were cleaned. While I was spraying down some shelving, Axel called over to me. Coach, coach, check out all these old books. Under all the rat feces were approximately 300 books dating back as far as the late 1800s and many unusual titles. The most recent titles were published in the late 1950s, but the majority were from 1900 to 1938. I decided to rebox the books and take a closer look inside later. Axel and I loaded them up on the bed of my truck and brought them down to the caretaker's house on the property. As I began looking through titles, I found that they were all on occult topics. Many had library markings and checkout sleeves. There were a few letters included stating the reasons for the titles being pulled from shelves as being that they were containing controversial topics. There were metaphysical books and notes, mental physics workbooks, and even an old copy of one of the books that sent me on my journey, Cosmic Consciousness. I didn't open any titles or begin to read them, but instead placed them in milk crates for later exploration. As to the title I read, Cosmic Consciousness, in the early stages of my adventure, I took special note as to the author's story about his life in the beginning of his book. His life journey was marked by specific events that correlated directly to mine. He suffered a rare injury of a bilateral leg fractures during his time in service, as did I. And he recalls an event of being embraced in a light while alone on a highway, as did I. And a year after his book was published, on February 19, 1901, he slipped on some ice while stargazing at night and hit his head, ending the life as he knew it. While 100 years later, I blacked out in a 1995 Ford Explorer and woke up with my head in the windshield inverted in a ditch on February 19, 2001, and was on a plane and bus that same morning with a large bump on my head, lucky to be alive, but leaving the life I knew behind to join the Marine Corps. I have the author's date of death tattooed on my arm as a symbol of a day of transformation. When I read this information, I took an even further step to determine that my life was so similar to this guy's life that there's a remote possibility that I die at the same age as he did. So I calculated that he died at 61 and wrote this number on the bottom of one of the pages in my copy of the book Cosmic Consciousness. One more box of books came to be discovered in the attic at the caretaker's house, and it was this discovery that pushed me into further investigation into what all the books contained. Then the synchronicities came flooding. As I pulled down this box of books, the title on top was very old, yellow and falling apart. It was volume three in a series called 
the science of mental physics, not metaphysics. I opened the cover, and there my eyes laid upon a writing so mysterious-looking with never-before-seen symbols. It read in dark black ink, Chapter 61, Cosmic Consciousness. I was shocked and amazed and now anxious to dig deeper into the old books. It is a treasure of ancient literature on topics my mind had never fathomed. As I began to read, the unanswered question about my life experience were being explained as never before. What I had experienced in the pool when I drowned was outlined in a full section of a book entitled The Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. It explains astral travel experiences, all near-death phenomena, and the reality of alternative senses, such as telepathy and clairvoyance, as well as an explanation of spirits and such, and a blending of science and spirituality. Topics, titles, and authors included in my cache of ancient texts are but not limited to Paracelsus, Manly P. Hall, Rosicrucian, Cosmo Conception, Morals and Dogma, Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ, Mystic Christianity, Cosmology, Anthropology, Pneumatology, Magic and Sorcery, Medicine, Alchemy, Astrology, Philosophy, Theosophy, the visible and invisible worlds, chemical region of the physical world, etheric region of the physical world, the world of desire, the world of thought, the material world being a reverse reflection of the spiritual world, evolution of memory and soul growth, death and purgatory, the silver cord, the borderlands, preparations for rebirth, birth of the vital body and growth, birth of the desire body and puberty, birth of the mind and majority, the blood being the vehicle of the ego, the law of consequence, cosmic planes, man's relation to God, birth of the individual, separation of the sexes, influence of the planets, the Lemurian race, Tartaria, the fall of man, the Lucifer spirits, the Atlantean epoch, the Aryan epoch, involution, epigenesis, guardian angels, Mixing blood and marriage, the star of Bethlehem, as above, so below, future development and initiation, the method of acquiring first-hand knowledge, the science of nutrition, food values, the law of assimilation, live and let live, the Lord's Prayer, the vow of celibacy, the pituitary body and the pineal gland, path of unused sex currents, esoteric training, how the inner vehicle is built, concentration, meditation, observation, discrimination, contemplation, adoration, the number of the beast, healing power, and the list goes on and on. I have filled six bookshelves and had every intention on reading each one, but the task seems too large to take on alone. And this is another area where I know we can collaborate. If I read one book a month, it would take me 25 years and I don't have that kind of time. I need your help, and I know you can see value in these rare titles that need to be read, preserved, and shared with humanity before they deteriorate, I die, or they are burned by the state. Audio publishing, a virtual book club, or a value-for-value value trade are just ideas. I want nothing more than to collaborate with the both of you and support each other on this journey. One morning, in now March of 2017, while making coffee in the kitchen, a seven-foot-tall, three-foot-wide, translucent shadow figure floated from the front door into the living room, into the kitchen, past me, 
and finally into the back room. I walked around the corner and looked in the back room and found nothing. I thought it was strange, but what was I really going to do? I simply went back to making coffee. There was a strange smell that was always by the front door. There was a floor vent there that connected to the furnace, and so I thought maybe a rodent died in there because it smelled like death. I had the ducks cleaned, and the smell was gone for the day. It came back, though, on and off, and so I put an air freshener there and didn't think much of it. It finally got so bad that I had to hire an exterminator to inspect the entire property, including the attic. No rodents were found. When the technician was done with his inspection, he asked me if I followed him up into the attic. He said he thought I was behind him when he went up there and that when he turned to say something to me, I wasn't there. It freaked him out because he swore that I went up with him. I didn't mention to him that I was uncomfortable going up there because the previous caretaker's husband met his demise up there. One evening, while sitting in the living room, I felt a sickness move through me that lasted 30 seconds. It left me nauseated, dizzy, and gasping for air. It was so bad that I had to get up and go outside for fresh air. After it moved on and the awful feelings subsided, I tried to forget about it and simply went back to my evening. Late into my last night at the caretaker's house, I was sitting at my desk by the front door, responding to emails on the computer. I was stressed and tired. I wanted to get to bed and hadn't yet closed the gate to the property. It should have been closed at sundown for safety. It was just after 11. The front door was open with the screen door closed. It was early April now and the weather outside was beautiful. The house had an evaporative cooler that didn't put out very cold air and a propane furnace for heat. Suddenly I felt ice-cold air pass through my body from left to right. It made no sense at all. The house doesn't have air conditioning and being an air-conditioned technician by trade, I have a sense, a great sense for knowing air temperatures. This breeze was freezing cold. It got my attention and rattled me good. I stood from my chair, knocking it back, and yelled out loud to an entity that I felt was there and knew was there but could not see it. During the three minutes or so that I was angry with it and communicating with it, it merged itself with my body and sent paralyzing chills through my muscles down to my bones that were so intense they left my body with cramps when it was over. I decided it was time to go lock up. The front gate was a quarter mile from the front door of the house. Nothing would prepare me for what was next. As I walked through the unforgiving desert in the pitch black of night towards the gate, I was tense, spooked, and cramped from what had just happened. As I pulled the gates together and chained them and placed the lock on, I looked to my left and saw the long, skinny, dark fingers, elongated hands, and gangly arms of a four-foot-tall black entity that retracted behind the retaining wall the instant it became aware of me seeing it. The fear I felt was unexplainable, and I ran as fast as I could in full Marine Corps sprint back to the house. I kicked the door open, grabbed my keys, and drove in terror back to the front gate. I jumped out in a panic and threw back open the gate. I pulled my truck forward and got back out to lock up the gate behind me. I was shaking in fear as I attempted to place the chain and lock back on the gate. As I locked the lock, I said out loud, Jesus Christ, protect me. At that, I heard an unearthly, evil growl just feet from me in my right ear where I saw the dark entity. 
It sent terror into my soul that produced tears of fear, and I vowed never to go back there again after dark. I was reluctant to tell the board that I was no longer staying there at night for fear of losing my position and access to the land entirely. I went back only during daylight hours and began to prepare for my departure and finalize preparation for the Easter service. That was my one last responsibility to complete before my time was up. I wanted to host the Easter sunrise mass. My mom helped me set it up and it was a success. The next day I went to clean up while I was in the house. The smell came back. The moment that I noticed the smell, it was as if something grabbed my intestine and began to twist it pulling my asshole and testicles together into a knot. I couldn't move. I was dropped to the floor in pain. I had to call my mom to drive me to the emergency room as I couldn't drive myself. I barely made it back to the car, and for the next four to five hours, I was like a fish out of water in tremendous pain. It felt like someone or something had a grip on my insides. I couldn't stay quiet or still. Eventually, I was sedated. The doctors ran tests and found nothing wrong with me. The pain subsided eventually, and I went home with directions to watch my diet. Me, the healthy vegan eater, needs to watch my diet. Bullshit. I made my way back to the property and sent an email to the board resigning from my duties as caretaker. The board decided that it would be best to shut down the property until further investigation into the house can be done. The property had three caretakers before me, Amy, who turned it over to me, and before her it was Anne, and before her a man named Basil. When Anne got word of the planned shutdown, she and her husband, who left some items in a shed and in the attic from their time there, decided to come back to retrieve their stuff before the closure. I met them when they arrived and let them in to gather their belongings. I watched closely from a distance to see what items they would take and what items they would leave. I waited and worked up at the chapel while they cleared the shed and attic. I was half expecting them to come to the chapel and get the books. They never did, and they drove off property and headed to the airport to head back to Hawaii. I began placing all the crates of books in the bed of my truck. I took them home and put them in the corner of my bedroom by the bed. I rented a moving truck that week and hired three of my football players to help me with the heavy lifting. We were going to pack up the house and get everything out before dark. Everything was on the truck, including myself. Mark and Axel were in sight a few feet back from the truck as Jonas handed me the last box. Just as I took the last box, the front door to the house slammed hard shut, sending a loud bang echoing into the air. The sun was behind the mountain and dusk had arrived. The boys all looked at me spooked. There was no wind or even the slightest breeze out. We shut the truck and peeled out. It was like the entity was saying, and stay out. My sweetheart, Anya, began getting headaches and couldn't seem to shake them. They were only at night and in the morning. She asked me to take my books out of the room because she thought they might be making her sick. She stated that the headache started when I brought the books into the room. I thought, well, they were covered in rat crap. Maybe they should be outside to air out. That makes sense. Also, they are old and perhaps have dust mites or something. I was trying to come up with a rational explanation. I put them outside on an outdoor bench. A few days later, I took a short nap on that bench with my head near the crate of books. I woke up with a splitting headache. Here it was, outdoors in a well-ventilated area. 
could it be possible that the odor or toxicity of the books is causing all these headaches? I moved the books to my outdoor desk. At night later, I went out to relax and get some fresh air. I had a seat down at my desk. Out came my sweetheart Anya to join me and share each other's company as we so often did. She sat down near me at my desk with only the books in the crate between us. Suddenly, I felt a rage come over me and something compelled me to kick the dog's bowl of water on Anya's feet for no good reason. She stood up in shock, asking me what the heck I was doing. I had no answer, but instead glared at her with hate, rage, and aggression in my body. She said, you can sleep outside. I did. The next morning, Anya said to me, Chris, you looked like you had the devil in you last night. Anya never used the word devil in our ten years of being together. She has no religious background or knowledge of that sort of thing. She doesn't think or speak in those terms. At breakfast, I was overcome by a feeling to grab a pencil off the table and stab myself with it. I envisioned myself stabbing my neck and ripping from ear to ear, and before I knew it, I had lunged forward, grabbing the pencil and trying to stab myself in the heart. With Anya and my daughter watching in fear, I fought my own strength from thrusting the pencil into my chest. Anya took Sumaya and left the house. I was confused and scared. I had no reason to be suicidal, and there I was battling it out with my own arm to prevent the act. None of this made sense, and so I called the Veterans Crisis Line for help. They put me on hold, and so I hung up and called my mom to see if she was available to talk with. I explained to her that I just needed to talk and that the Veterans Crisis Line was not available. This must have sent her into a panic, so she called our cousin Joe, who apparently advised her to call the cops to prevent me from hurting myself. When the cops arrived and I saw my mom behind them, I felt betrayed, let down, and hopeless. I looked at the officer's name badge and said, Hey, Morales, you ever used that gun before? Because you're going to have to use it today. I'm coming after it. He said, No, please don't. Just then I jumped over the four-foot wall between us and went after his weapon just as I said I would. I got my hand to it when his partner tackled me from my right side and wrestled me until they could place me in cuffs with my hands behind my back. I cursed them and wished cruel deaths upon their families and even spat in their faces. There I was, cuffed in the middle of the street with now four cop cars, a fire truck, an ambulance to tend to just me. They had about eight officers and six emergency medical technicians. They called the veterans' hospital for me, and I cursed them, too, for putting me on hold. They dragged me off to the Crisis Rehabilitation Center, or Crazy House, and was to be under lock and key for 24 hours at least. After sleeping for those hours under a white sheet, I was interviewed, deemed normal, and set free. When I got out of that crazy house, I felt more alone than I ever have. Family thinks I'm crazy now more than before while they eat toxic food, drink bad water, wear masks, get vaccinated, drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, buy into politics, force-feed religion, believe media over loved ones, and think money and material is what is important. When I got home, I called Amy, the caretaker, whom I took over for, and asked her, what the heck is up with that place? I told her I had to get out of there, too. And she replied, I'm so sorry, Chris. I should have told you. But my husband told me never to mention it. I needed to leave because that house killed him. There was a murder-suicide in the chapel that happened in the late 60s, and you can investigate it. 
My husband said people would never want to come visit or have their weddings in the chapel if they knew the truth. That's all I can tell you, Chris. I'm sorry. The last thing I asked her before hanging up was, Who do those books in the back of the chapel belong to? Are they yours? Because Anne didn't take them. No, she said. As far as I know, they've always been there. I was shocked. It all made perfect sense, though. I looked it up and found it. There was an article in the Tucson Citizen newspaper about the couple aged 26 that took their lives there on September 1st, 1969. The bodies of Melvin Martin and Tanya Sue were discovered lying beneath the stone pulpit of the chapel. It appeared to be part of a grotesque ritual. Melvin was found nude beside his wife dressed in black. On the brick pews nearby were canteens, uh, one with a note that read, Don't drink, poison. Another note told how to get a hold of relatives when their bodies were discovered. Also on the scene was found some men's clothes, a thirty-two pistol, and a stack of mad magazines. Light bulbs firing, my friend and fellow Marine, Jonathan Leon, who took his own life, had been stuck in the house he shot himself in for years. One of the last things he did in his last moments of anguish and stress was to bend the prongs of all the household forks in different directions. His widow still finds forks bent in this manner on the kitchen counter to this day. And she will not leave that house even though all her family and loved ones live states away. I myself have heard and been there to witness a broken intercom system turn on in the house and play his and his wife's dedicated love song. I realize now with this knowledge, combined with my experiences, that the best explanation for the attack on my insides resulting in a trip to the ER to find nothing wrong is that I was experiencing the pain that Tanya Sue felt when she indeed drank the poison. She was reliving her last moments through me. The best explanation for the random act of suicide attempt by pencil, and then police officer, was it was a desperate attempt to relive the last moments that Melvin Martin felt as he committed suicide. Their souls were trapped in the chapel and using me as a host. I later read in the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception that I came to have by way of the chapel this explanation of what happens to a person's soul if they commit suicide. It's like breaking a contract that you agreed to prior to birth, and we are obligated to that contract even if we tap out early. Essentially, suicide creates ghosted souls, as I have now experienced and read in confirmation. I revisit the chapel about once a month during the day. Every time I go, I acknowledge Melvin and Tanya Sue and speak to them as if they are still there. I've told them it's time to go. Either they have left or they seem to be at peace now. If they are still there, we now have a mutual respect and they don't bother me. They gifted us this poem when I wrote it on my previous birthday while sitting where their bodies were found. The wind spins, the wind walks, the wind moves and the wind talks, turning and burning within, turning and burning the wind. It is real what I feel? I can't show you, there's nothing to see. There is a smell and a chill with an original story. As real as I feel, I've seen the dead move on by. Do you believe in the wind? Do you think this is a lie? Hear a story told, hear where a service is sold. Hear the feeling is cold, and hear a story of old. Tanya Sue and Melvin, too, left their child to pursue an act of 47 years ago. 
It was 69 in fall's time when they had their final meal. Lil Abner's was the place their waitress recalled smiles on their face, but also mentioned the color black in a mysterious canteen. The contents had not been clear, but it was guarded near. From Gardena, they had come at 26 years of age to live out their final chapter and turn their final page. In the darkness of night, they hiked to the chapel where Tanya was unclothed. From the mad magazines, an evil was a rose. An act was committed without waver, without fear. A mystery purpose brought this couple here. Here they stay, never to leave, until a half-century would pass, and their story I did retrieve. The story had been sealed until I took on the task and revealed a truth as dark as night. I relived their last moments in two vivid times of fright. Poison drank and pistol drawn, their bodies were found by Basil Coburn just after dawn. At the foot of the pulpit in the chapel on the hill, when you visit, tell them hi, their presence is there still. Or dare to ignore their story, and they'll borrow the warmth created by your soul, leaving you lost, scared, sick and cold, advancing you to old, C.C. style. Pen name. I'm still trying to understand what I call the dweller on the threshold. I think shadow figures show up to teach us something, and I need to face my fear and embrace it with love rather than run from it in fear. I have yet to go back after dark. New revelations have surfaced in regard to the dark entity in the caretaker's house. During one board meeting at the caretaker's house, the oldest member of the board made a comment to a large buzzing bug that was loudly and aggressively tapping at a large picture window, as if it were trying to get in. She said, oh, there is my old friend. I didn't put much to it until this October of 2021. Remember that bug being so large and loud, it was almost terrifying. I had no natural fear of bees, but this bug was so large and so black that it made most people uncomfortable. I wasn't sure if it was a bee or a beetle or a fly. It was the size of a ping pong ball and always violently banging itself against the front window. So during my stay in the desert, I found many anomalous items. I came across a nasty old carved wooden scarab with hieroglyphics on it, a pair of stone Buddhist relics, some clay carved dragons, a clay carved all-seeing eye, and even a wand of sorts made of copper with a double-headed amethyst fixed with sap, filled with corn and wrapped with red aluminum wire into symbols of Alpha and Omega. While reading about ritual magic in October, I read about the importance of tools for invocation and removal of entities. The circle is important for keeping an entity in one place, and the wand is a tool to control and protect as well as casting spells. It dawned on me that I found a large stone circle during my stay in the desert that was hidden behind vegetation in front of the house. There was a couple of lawn chairs by the circle, and I recall thinking that the previous caretakers probably sat out and sunbathed over there. Well, now I know that's not the case. The stones in that circle were remarkably beautiful, and I did take two stones away from the circle's cardinal direction points and place them inside the caretaker's house, for decoration by the front door and by the fireplace, not realizing at the time that I had broken a sacred circle. It's no wonder now why there was a dark entity in the front, always entering the front door with its stench and cold dark presence. 
Finally, I did some basic, simple research on flies, bees, beetles, and scarabs, none of which live longer than 12 to 14 months at best. So how is it that this large black flying creature is still alive in the same place, doing the same thing after years? On my last visit in October 2021, I was looking for a sign, as I always do, upon walking out of the empty tiny chapel on the hill, that large black fly flew towards me, did a U-turn back towards the door and landed on the door jamb. I walked by it and said aloud, it's just that huge black fly again. I went home and felt compelled to research the name Beelzebub. I read he was partners with Satan slash Lucifer, a high-ranking demon that is known for showing up as a large black fly. So was there some dark ritual magic out there? That would explain the circle, the wand, and the evil. To this day, it remains the most haunted place I have ever been, and its level of spiritual activity is unmatched. The dark secrets continue to be suppressed, and I'm determined to continue an attempt to gain an understanding of what happened out there, and what continues to happen after dark. Since I resigned, two different caretakers have been appointed. The first was a Native American. After two weeks, he resigned with no explanation. He just up and left. The couple that remains there today is elderly, and I wondered about them often. I still have keys to the property, and I'm a caretaker off-site. I would love to have a contact at the cove, as we can reserve the land and have full access to all its mysteries. It's called the Sanctuary Cove in Marana, Arizona, and can be found on Airbnb, apparently, although it was not advertised until recently. If anyone wants a tour, I would be more than happy to accommodate I plan on leading exhibitions on the eight-hour hike through the mountain ridge soon and to do more exploring into an ancient world full of burial mounds and hidden history. It's Sahuro National Park West that borders the 81 acres of the cove that leaves a huge desert landscape unexplored. A large circular area where nothing grows and has been nicknamed the UFO landing spot and views of the city from there are spectacular. Petroglyphs and caves inhabited by early settlers are just part of the undiscovered history that I've been uncovering on each hike into the uncharted desert mountain terrain. I came to visit my mom one day after this all transpired to find a Catholic deacon that she brought there specifically to see if I was possessed. Apparently, Deacon Lugo is the only one in Arizona with authority to perform exorcisms. He drove two hours from Benson, Arizona just to see me. When he told me to burn the books I had come into possession of and not to read them, I realized he was there with an agenda. He was a Jesuit, tasked with suppressing certain knowledge. Reminiscent of the Spanish Crusades, I was taken aback and turned off and even offended. Naturally, this made me resent Mom for doing this, and she even backed his direction 100%. She became fearful of my books and still is. She even tried to steal them from me and throw them away. Before he left, he told me, you're not possessed. Since my awakening, my life has become one big magic show or distortion of reality I once knew. I don't have much dream recall as a result of chronic cannabis use, but the last dream I had was a prediction of death in which I became lucid and then sleep paralyzed, and I tried to exit the dream in terror. The next day, my mom's dog died tragically. And unfortunately, the last time I saw my uncle and aunt from California, I knew somehow that it would be the last time I saw them alive. It was a horrible feeling that came over me as I said goodbye to them like every other time. 
I didn't understand at the time because it made no sense. They were the healthiest elders of the family. The feeling I had came true, and they both died tragically and unexpectedly less than a year apart from each other from totally unforeseen problems in the last year. This would be an awful radar to have, and I don't want it, but I have it, that once the genie is out, it doesn't go back in. There is this vibration throughout my whole body that buzzes when a truth has been spoken or point reached in the great process of things that I can't shut off. Once the veil is removed, there's no going back. One point in May of 2020, I was so frustrated with my extrasensory perception that I tried to reverse my progress by deliberately attempting to poison my consciousness and reduce it to where it once was through excessive daily drinking. It didn't work. It just wasted a bunch of time and money and felt crappy. I'm back off the booze now and better for it. We can all sense when we're in the right place at the right moment and the wrong place at the wrong moment with the awareness of our intuition or that gut feeling. We all have in us the latent abilities to perform miracles and do evil. These forces are real and they depend on each other to keep balance. Darkness exists in the absence of light. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side. Love heals everything. Through all my studies of culture and religions across earth, that is the common theme and ultimate truth. The choice is ours. Do as thou will. I know now that these experiences I've had with NDE, astral travel, lucid dreaming, ghosts, UFOs, evil, psychic phenomena, telepathy, clairvoyance, discernment, and past life regression are all real. Occasionally a voice will speak to me. I have had my name spoken by a female voice. My name from a past life was spoken to me by the same woman. I have verbalized the name Gabriel in trance for no reason. And recently, while driving, I took my eyes off the road to grab the Bluetooth speaker I was going to use when I nearly drove off the road into an embankment and just missed crashing into a traffic sign. At the last possible moment, I heard three whistles aloud in my left ear that brought my attention and focus back to the road and allowed me to make a corrective action and narrowly avoid an awful wreck. All this after an awakening, or what I have come to know as a kundalini experience. To know instead of believing has changed my life. It seems there is an order of illumination, awakening. One, the moral elevation or dedication to serve. Two, the loss of the fear of death as with the near-death experience. Three, the subjective light, a fulfilling light, centered and intensified. Four, intellectual illumination. Mind is clarified, purified, rendered more active and guided by intuition. Five, the sense of immortality. Energy can't be created or destroyed. Six, the loss of the sense of sin. Not that all is good, but that the undesirable is in the nature of necessary experience, not something that an atonement may be made, but something that the individual must compensate or pay for by means of karmic cycle. 7. The suddenness of the awakening, when your inner subjective light can be united with the greater light from above. It comes when the least expected, when it is earned. 8. An added charm to the personality. Love responds to love. 9. The transfiguration of the subject as seen by others and attested by witnesses to illumination. A final confirmation in the text was given as I read, 
Approximately 2,000 years ago, a master teacher, an initiate of the spiritual order of the Essenes, said, Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. Matt 1034. This clear statement acknowledges that unless falsehood, deceit, malice, dishonesty, double-dealing, exploitation, subterfuge, downright fraud, and other evils are faced squarely and vanquished, there can be neither peace, happiness, nor continued amity in the human family. My crystal sword was not a stone fashioned into a point that I stumbled across on the earth plane. The knowledge, the books, the spiritual word is the sword. The attainment of knowledge, wisdom, and soul consciousness is the sword that was sent and has given us the ability to lift others as well as to help lead humanity into the Great Awakening. I spoke to a couple Mormon missionaries one afternoon for a good conversation. They really enjoyed my story, and they shared with me that they refer to their Book of Mormon as their sword. We all thought it was a great synchronicity. Much has transpired in the world, and in our worlds as individuals to say the least. I have been with you both along the way every day and have had many thoughts to write you since. But it seems now is the most appropriate time. Your guest, Mr. Gale, recently said, There is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And that, I feel, is a deep truth in our world. We are on a path towards something new and we find ourselves on different sides of people we love dearly. And this is a huge part of the tragedy we now experience. Just today, I realized even the closest members of my family are turning and lacking hope and faith and turning against me. Having kids from different mothers has been challenging because it's not just one mind I'm dealing with. I had one mother, my sweetheart Anya, on the same page with me with the vaccines, but she is losing hope and patience as the public schools and media double down on their efforts to reduce our numbers. My son is 18 now, and so he is safe and aware of the truth, and can help me in the battle for his sister's health. This tragedy has infiltrated my family circle and is ripping us apart. Some family doesn't want to see us because we're unvaccinated, which was spread through gossip. I'm going to be writing goodbye letters to some elders because it's my last effort to shine some light on truth. And they will sadly die alone if they don't change their ways. I had the bug in June and was down for a while. It sucked, but now I have natural immunity and I feel confident terrain theory and universal field theory explains how our bodies work. Today, my sweetheart Anya told me that I have changed and asked me why I can't be normal like everyone else. Her idea of normal is back asleep, sheep style, and I'm still hanging on after five years of being the new me. This way of life cured me of lymphoma and brought my darkness into light. I've evolved, and in doing so, I've become estranged from my loved ones, and it's terribly sad that the idea of normal to my sweetheart is now insane to me, and what seems sane and logical to me now is insane thinking to her. I'm at a loss now, but motivated and inspired to teach truth, health, and wellness in cannabis culture, and serve people with homegrown services, and coach youth to master their crafts with mind, body, and soul balance. I've finished many pieces of writing, but I'm looking for guidance or recommendations for publishing. Let's not miss the opportunity to connect while you're in Arizona in February. I would love to place a deposit, but I am broke. It's Christmas time, and I don't even have a plan for gifts for the family. 
Food and basics are covered these days, but until I get my new businesses off the ground, money is tight. I will have some funds available by the beginning of February, but fear it will be too late. If I miss this chance to connect with you guys, it will be hard to forgive myself. Pine Top Lakeside is my backyard, basically in childhood playground for me and my ancestors. I would like to offer a value-for-value exchange if you would be willing. As I said, I would like to offer my services as errand boy, weed caddy, custodial engineer, driver, beer bitch, but I also have content, books, and skills in business startup, management, advertising, agriculture, networking, writing, and editing. I can drive up, sleep in my truck to not occupy a space, and be your friend, partner, and servant for the contact at the cabin, and a commodity at the Grimerica Commune as a teacher and grower. Together we can build a grim state across the globe with chapters and provide the sustainability to survive and thrive against our enemies. I believe in us. Please get back to me about possible options for collaboration. I leave you with this prophecy that I was given on January 8th, 2020 at 21 hours and was posted to social media. Here is what's on my mind. Flow state channeled from a source unbeknownst, uninvited, always invasive, like a heavy weight bearing on my existence. A time will come when our communities will be in search of local leadership amongst the chaos, tragedy, and fog of war. At that time, the warriors of humanity will shine like beacons, guiding their states to survival and to regroup. They alone will be willing to sacrifice for the greater good of humanity and the survival of a people and nation. Know your place and play your role as the show will go on. The first step to becoming a warrior is having a big heart. One must feel love, sadness, loneliness, pain, anger, and empathy with a passion in order to go great lengths and sacrifice in selfless service to others. A big heart isn't a sign of weakness. Rather, it's the mark of a soul destined to serve humanity, a true sign of a warrior. A warrior of humanity isn't bloodthirsty, wanting to kill everything in sight. It's a soul with a purpose for protecting and preserving life at all costs. It's not having courage in the absence of fear, but rather the courage to move into, through, and past fear. See you guys soon, Coach Chris. Well, there you have it. And of course, he mentioned Contact at the Cabin in February, Arizona. That one is all sold out, but we do have other events going on. Great ones. There's a couple with Randall Carlson coming up, one in the spring and one in the fall. Um, I think there's room in one of them, maybe both. That's like a Scabland adventure with Randall going over the younger, driest impact and all that kind of stuff. We have an Egypt trip at the end of 2022 and Hawaii in 2023 that just came out. And there's a couple more that are sold out as well, but you can check out that contact at the cabin.ca for our events where we have special guests, uh, kind of giving us present uh, presentations or workshops or hanging out and looking at stars and mythology and all kinds of cool stuff. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Seasons greetings from the Grimerica Show podcast. Gather around the fireplace, help yourself to some hot cocoa with the little marshmallows in it, maybe have a candy cane or two, and maybe some cookies. It's so warm and jolly. Grime Merry Christmas. 
broadcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy, I see you've acquainted yourself with D-Ron. Yeah, it's true, he puffs Christmas trees of medicinal. Wait a second, is that? Yeah, I think that's Sasquatch beneath the mistletoe. Get over here, Graham. Thank you for saving me and give me a kiss. And it looks like Napoleon Doom is decorating the room with tinsels, ribbon, popcorn on strings, and what's at the yes, They are in bloom. And you might ask, who's that in the green and red Lucian Libre mask? Why, of course, that's RPJ. Feliz Navidad. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy. You'll get a warm and fuzzy feeling if you donate to the Grime America show. So get in the spirit, reach down in your pocket and make it rain. Uh, I mean, uh, let it snow, make it snow, let it snow, let it snow, make it snow. Donate to the show. Donate to the show. Donate to the show. It's so warm and jolly. Grime Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy. Boom.